Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. Psalm 113, verse 9 says, He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Now, Psalm 113 is the first of the Hallel Psalms. The word Hallel means praise. And the Hallel Psalms are the 113th through the 118th division of the Psalter. Now, the Jews sang the Hallel Psalms as they journeyed to Jerusalem for three major feasts each year. They would sing them on their journey, and then during the feast, like the Feast of the Passover, this was the series of psalms that they would sing. Do you remember in Mark 14, 26, it says that after the Lord Jesus held the Passover with his disciples and instituted the Last Supper, they sang a hymn and went out. Probably what they sang is the Hallel Psalms. Now, the theme of this first of the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113, is the amazing condescension of God. It teaches us that the Most High stoops to raise the downtrodden. Praise ye the Lord, he begins. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And then he speaks of the transcendence of God. The Lord is high above all nations. I love the Bible's view of a high and lofty God, a great God, a big God, a majestic God of excellency. The Lord is high above all nations. When you watch the news, it's important to remember that God is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. In fact, So transcendent is God, listen to verse 5, who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. God is so high, he must stoop even to look at the stars and the planets. He is high above the heavens and he must humble himself. He must condescend to view the things that are in the heaven and in the earth. And not only does he condescend to consider the universe that he's made, that's how high and lofty he is, but notice he condescends in mercy. Verse 7, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes. So the sweet chariot swings low, but then it rises very high. The Lord who is high sweeps down to raise the poor from the dust and the needy from the dunghill, and he raises him how high that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. And then the psalm closes with an example of God's condescending mercy. He makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. So notice God is transcendent, but yet he's not aloof. He's a God of majesty, but he's also a God of mercy. And he takes the poor, the downtrodden, the downcast, 
the needy from dust to glory. I like that thought, from dust to glory. By the way, that's the story of the Bible, isn't it? God made Adam out of what in Genesis chapter 1? Out of dust. But Revelation chapter 22 talks about our eternal happiness with Christ in glory. And the story of the Bible is from dust to glory. It's the story of the condescending mercy of God, that the Most High God has condescended to help those who are poor and needy. And who's more poor and needy than a barren woman, an infertile woman? And the psalm talks about how God is so concerned about his world. Even though he's high and lofty, yet he is so involved and merciful and interested in the lives of his people that he even hears the cry of the childless mother. He makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Now, these verses remind us of the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, when she said, The Lord maketh poor, and he maketh rich. He bringeth low, and he lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints. The God who is so great. The God who created it all and who set it up on pillars and who is himself higher than his creation, yet keeps the feet of his saints and he raises the poor from the dunghill and sets him among princes. This is exactly what our text is talking about. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. I suspect, however, that the very language of our text sounds foreign and strange to the experience of many mothers today. No doubt apart from that initial excitement and fulfillment that a mother experiences when she holds her newborn infant in her arms. Many modern people would tend to view the idea of joyful motherhood in terms of a certain degree of cynicism and maybe even guilt. The fact is motherhood is a challenge, isn't it? It's not always a joyful experience. And this is true from the very beginning. God told Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, one of the consequences of sin and the fall of man is that I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be toward thy husband and he shall rule over thee. One of the consequences of fall is that motherhood has been complicated by sin. And in the real life experience of many mothers, motherhood, I say again, seems anything but joyful. In fact, you think about the never-ending drudgery of cleaning and cooking and doing the laundry. That doesn't always lend itself to an attitude of joyfulness, does it? I saw a comment the other day that said, I used to dream of being a grown-up, and then I discovered that being a grown-up is nothing more than trying to decide what to have for dinner every night for the rest of your life. (laughs) That's not an easy decision, is it? There are moments of happiness, but as a rule, motherhood is quite challenging. You add to the struggle of the daily responsibilities of cleaning, cooking, and doing the laundry, the struggle of family tensions, disagreements, fights, raising of voices, 
and episodes of prodigal behavior in your young people, and the very idea of joyful motherhood seems like the impossible dream to many people today. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, says it like this, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Motherhood, when a child is prodigal, is somewhat depressing. And what about the experience of those mothers who have children with various diseases and handicaps and afflictions? Sitting up all night with a sick child is not an easy thing. What about the never-ending responsibilities of caring for an afflicted child? Or the incessant worry and anxiety of helping a child with a learning disability? Or a chronic medical or psychological condition? Indeed, motherhood has been complicated by the presence of sin in this world at every turn. But I suggest biblical joy is not a feeling of euphoria and happiness. That's not the meaning of joy in the Bible. Instead, biblical joy is, here's a good definition, a disposition toward cheerfulness in spite of circumstances. When the Bible says that we're to be joyful, it means that in spite of our circumstances, it's possible for us to have an inclination or disposition toward cheerfulness because of who our God is and what he's promised us. You see, our joy is not in our circumstances, it's in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And the key phrase in that verse is that little prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Rejoice not in your circumstances, because circumstances are like the tides, right? They change, but my friends, the Lord never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love never alters. It never diminishes. It never increases. It's always an everlasting love. It's always an unconditional love. And my beloved, in spite of the challenges of motherhood, I say again, it's possible to be a joyful mother of children. And we've talked about motherhood's challenge. Let's make the second point this morning that joy in motherhood arises from seeing it as a divine charter. I'm going to use four CH words this morning as we alliterate the message. Motherhood is challenging, but it's also a divine charter. And a charter is a gift or an endowment or a grace. A charter is something that you've been granted. And in other words, it's a blessing. Now, I wonder how long it's been since you've looked at motherhood or fatherhood, for that matter, as a blessing. You know, a lot of People today, and I think our society teaches us to think like this, sees parenting as a burden. But I want to say, dear friends, the Bible teaches us to view it as a blessing from God. For here's an opportunity to build something that will have long-lasting and far-reaching implications. You know, you can build a structure. You can build a barn or a house or you can build a business, but you know, it's, it doesn't have far-reaching implications. It may last 10, 20, 30 years or maybe even more, maybe 50 years, but I'll tell you, you build or invest in the lives, in the character development of a human being. You're doing something, my friends, that is of extreme importance and significance. I believe that mothers often are made to feel that the world is passing them by, especially those that uh, stay at home with their children, those that are homemakers. Sometimes mothers are asked, what is your profession? 
And they feel a little bit embarrassed because they say, well, I'm just a homemaker. Well, just remove that word just from your vocabulary because there is no more important role in this world than to invest your life and your energy into the building of human beings, the formation of character, the development of personality, the growth and stability of a person who will have usefulness in life. My friend, I suggest today that in spite of all of the dishes full of sinks and piles of laundry and ironing that never seems to get done and debris in the house, you know, clutter everywhere, and you say, I just can't get it right, just remove guilt, if you can, for a few moments this morning and see what a blessing it is that God has given you an opportunity to invest in the lives of these little ones. God makes the barren woman to keep house. Is God interested in the family? Absolutely. Now, what we've seen in society today is the breakdown of the family, and I think there's a concerted effort and there has been probably since the end of World War II. Well, actually, there has been since the fall in the Garden of Eden. But in, our, in America, since the end of World War II, both parents went to work and left their children to be raised by Greek tutors, many of which were unbelievers in the values of the Word of God, and more and more over the years. And what we've seen is that through entertainment, television, and so forth, Attention has been diverted away from the home and the nuclear family. You know what it takes to make a strong nation? It takes strong homes. And you know what it takes to make a strong church? It takes strong homes. I suggest that it's important for us to remember what Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a heritage of the Lord. The word heritage means an inheritance. You want an inheritance? Well, your children are your inheritance. You say, well, I'd rather have nickels and dimes and quarters. No, my friends, children are the best and most lasting inheritance. In fact, the richest people in the Bible are those who are described as having a big family. Happy is that man, says Psalm 127, verse 6, who has his quiver full of these arrows. Children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. The challenge is to point them to the bullseye. So parents are really archers. And my beloved, if you've got plenty of arrows in your quiver, you may be poor financially. I mean, you've got a birthday every month, don't you? You have a passel of kids and you have a bunch of grandkids and you say, Ooh, boy, I've, I can't, can't stop every time I turn around another birthday or holiday. And so that's where my retirement goes. Well, dear friends, may I say you're still rich. Children's children are the crown of old men, says the book of Proverbs. So listen to Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're your inheritance. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, how does God bless people? Here he uses the word reward. Through the fruit of the womb. So motherhood, my beloved, I think it's important not only to think of motherhood as a challenge, but to see it as a gift, to see it as an endowment, to see it as a divine charter. Now, barrenness is mentioned in our text. He makes the barren woman to keep house. And the word barren simply means infertile. You might be interested to know that many Jewish women considered infertility to be a judgment from God. Deuteronomy 7:14, God says to Israel that if you will keep my commandments, and follow my testimonies, then none of you shall be barren, neither your land or your cattle 
or your men or your women. There will be no infertile men. There will be no infertile women. He said, when the Lord is blessing, infertility will not be a problem. And the Jews deduced from that that when a woman was incapable of conceiving, which is a very difficult burden to bear, that they were under divine judgment. But you know, interestingly, the Bible lists seven barren women. In fact, if you want to hear a good sermon, I suggest you go to primitivebaptistsermons.org, which has a list of a bunch of Primitive Baptist sermons. Look up Elder Sonny Piles. He's got several hundred sermons on there. And there's a sermon entitled, The Barren Women of the Bible. And I love how he approaches that sermon. I listened to a portion of it this morning. Brother Sonny talks about the barren women of the Bible, and he shows that in each case when God blessed this woman who couldn't have babies to conceive and to give birth, that the child is a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he presented a very wonderful gospel sermon pointing to Christ from the barren women of the Bible. Now, there may be more, but I've counted seven barren women in the Bible. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, was barren. That's why they ended up with the problem of Sarah concocted this scheme that Abraham would take her handmaid, Hagar, to himself and that she would have children through Hagar because she was barren. You may remember that when it came time that Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100, God confirmed the covenant again. You will have a child, a seed. And Abraham lifted Ishmael, the child he'd had through Hagar, up before the Lord. And he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before the end. God said, that is not the promised seed. But thy wife Sarah shall indeed have a son. And Sarah laughed within herself. Do you remember? She heard it and she chuckled. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. And God said, wherefore didst thou laugh? And the, Sarah said, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, nay, but thou didst laugh. You see, God knows all the details of our life, doesn't he? But sure enough, in the process of time, Sarah conceived and she bore a son. And you know what she named that son that she bore? Isaac, which means he laughs. And I suggest every time Abraham and Sarah looked at little Isaac running around they must have chuckled within themselves, not with the laughter of skepticism this time, but with the laughter of surprise. <laughs> Look, can you believe what God is able to do? He's able to make a man that is past the age of fathering children and a wife who is not only elderly, her womb is dead, but she's barren. She can't seem to conceive. And she's gone her entire life with this problem. And now in her old age, God gives them a son, a child. And there was the laughter of surprise at the amazing grace and power of God. Sarah was a barren woman. Their son Isaac now that's born, he takes a wife named Rebecca and she is barren. And you read in Genesis 21 where Isaac prays to the Lord for Rebecca, his wife, and God heard his prayer and gave her conception. And she had twins named Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob ends up taking a wife named Rachel, and Rachel is barren. He also has a wife named Leah, and Leah has children, and Rachel can't. And then Leah's handmaidens have children, and Rachel's handmaidens, but Rachel still cannot have children. And on one occasion, she said to Jacob, give me children lest I die. She said, I just can't live. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not happy. I want children. And Jacob said, am I in the place of God? And notice how the Bible gives the glory to God 
not to the doctors, not to just nature. You see, they understood that children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. But Rachel was barren. Well, finally she gives birth and bears Joseph. And Jacob, because he loved Rachel, plays favorites with Joseph, makes him a coat of many colors, and you remember that story. Later she has Benjamin, and she dies during childbirth. So Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, the wives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, were all barren. So was Mrs. Manoah in Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 13. Now we don't know her actual name, but she was the wife of Manoah. So I just call her Mrs. Manoah. She was barren. But God opened her womb and gave her conception. God made the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. She gave birth to Samson, a mighty man. But then probably one of the most interesting barren women of the Bible is Hannah that we've already mentioned. Hannah, who was so sorrowful when she couldn't conceive. In fact, in the first chapter, it says that she wept sore. And her heart was grieved, for God had shut up her womb. And she went, remember, in the bitterness of her soul to the temple that day, and Eli the priest sat by a post at the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord. You remember how she vowed a vow. She said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give me a man-child, I will give him then to the Lord all the days of his life. Lord, if you'll lend me a child. Now, I can't explain this yearning that is in the heart of women because I've never experienced it. But I bet you sisters and you ladies know what I'm talking about, don't you? There is a desire. There's something inbred in a female. She longs to have children. And you say, well, that's not true for me. There may be exceptions to the rule. But I would say, as a rule, God has made females for the task of motherhood. Eve, the first woman, is called the mother of all living. And I believe, dear friends, that in each of these cases, whether you're talking about Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Mrs. Manoah, Hannah, the great woman of Shunem, remember in the days of Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 4, she didn't have a child. Now, she was a godly woman, a great woman, but she didn't have any children. And Elisha asked, what is it that you want me to do for you? And she said, well, I don't have any children. And he prayed, and the Lord gave her a child. What about Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother in the New Testament? She was barren. In fact, her husband, Zechariah, was a priest at the temple, and they were elderly. They were on up in years, but God opened her womb and gave her conception. You see, in each case, God mercifully condescended to lift these poor women from the dust of infertility and to bless them with the joys of motherhood. It is a joy to have children, isn't it? You mothers know that. But I suggest, my friends, that motherhood is not only joyful because it's a gift from God to have a little one. You know, many little girls have their baby and they just wish it was real, you know. And then to be blessed with a real human being. What a blessing that is. There's joy in simply becoming a mother. That's why they named Isaac Laughter. He laughs. Because it's a time of joy. The songs of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2 and the song of Mary in Luke chapter 3 are joyful songs, dear friends. There's joy simply in becoming a mother. 
But I believe there's also a joy to mothers because it's at that point that you realize God's purpose for your life. There's a wonderful sense of fulfillment when a person finds himself or herself in the center of God's will for their lives. Many people say, well, I don't like what God has planned for me. I want to do something else. But I believe the greatest fulfillment and sense of purpose that you and I will ever find in our lives is when we're in the center of God's will. May I say that motherhood, as a rule, is God's purpose for your life, if you're a female here today. 1 Timothy 5.14 says it like this. Paul says, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Now, by the way, you say this is an inferior lifestyle. This is an inferior occupation. No, my friends, it is probably the highest calling besides the gospel ministry that God could give to anybody. And Paul says, I will that the younger women, therefore, marry, bear children, guide the house. Now, that expression, guide the house, is the Greek word, the single word, oikodespotes, which means you're the ruler of the house. The ruler of the house. Oikodespotes, your ministry is the home. And that's why, you know, before a mother has a baby she goes into the phase they call nesting (laughs) you know like a mother bird building her nest for her little ones she starts making sure everything is prepared she's trying to make everything just right and in many respects a woman finds her greatest joy and fulfillment and sphere of ministry and influence in her home and family now i know the men folk you know they want to go out hunting you know or fishing And her desire is toward her husband. She wants him to be there with her. She has this yearning for his companionship and for his affection. And she lives for him and for her family, you know. And he's he's desiring to go out here and, you know, to build bridges and work on the road crew and to plant his crops. And he, he finds his fulfillment in many respects in his vocation, his occupation. But my beloved, may I say that he needs to be sensitive to her desires, and she needs to be understanding of the way that God made him. You know, men and women are different by design. They're not only different anatomically. You know, men have more brute strength, more body mass. Typically, men's shoulders are broader. Their bone structure is different. You ever noticed how easy it is for a woman to cradle a baby? There's just something about the bend of her arm that's awkward for men folk, you know. Her body's designed to give birth. Men are not. That's why bone structure in the lower regions is different between men and women. But they're not only different anatomically, but they're different psychologically in many respects. Now, they're both human beings, but their personalities are different. Their, their goals are different because God made them different. And they complement each other. Different does not mean inferior in either sense, male or female, but God made them different. And when we embrace those differences instead of rebelling against the way God made us, my friends, there's peace and happiness and fulfillment in life. Even functionally, there are these differences. And you say, well, I wish, I'm a female, I wish I could preach, I wish I could be a leader in the church. My friends, God's word's very plain. And if that upsets you today, then your, your complaint is not with me, but it's with the Word of God. It's God's Word that has said very clearly what the female role is in the worship of God and the life of the church 
and the leadership of the church. But I, I do say you have a congregation you can minister to. You have a sphere in which you can make a difference in this world. I want to say that mothers make as much of a difference in Christian homes. They make as much of a difference for the good of society as preachers do in the pulpit if they are faithful to the Lord for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just not applauded, is it? It's not always noticed. But you know, if the husband is the kind of person he ought to be, he's going to notice. And if the children are the kind of children that they ought to be, they're going to rise up and call her blessed. They're going to be grateful. What I'm saying is, though there are challenges, there is joy to be found in being the person and being in the place where God intended for you to be. And I'm not saying that it's wrong for a wife to work outside the home. I wouldn't dare say that. I have a little better sense than that. I don't even think it's biblical. You know, when the Bible talks about being keepers at home, that word keeper doesn't mean stayers at home. That a wife is to be a keeper at home doesn't mean you have to stay at home. The word keeper means homekeeper, you know, homemaker. Oikod despotes, that your home is your primary focus. I think Christian mothers need to get it straight and clear in their thinking that the home is the place that you're going to make the greatest impact for the building of people, for society at large, and for the kingdom of God. And if you do that, God holds you in high esteem and God honors those who honor his way. So you could be a homekeeper. You could keep your house. You could build your house. You know, Proverbs 14.1 says every wise woman builds her house. But a foolish woman plucks it down with her hands. You know, she destroys her marriage. A foolish woman is not faithful to her husband. A foolish woman is not supportive. A foolish woman neglects her responsibilities. She's just like, it's like she's tearing her home down. But a wise woman is building her house. She's investing in her husband and her children. You see, she's building her house. Doesn't mean that she has to pick up a hammer and a saw and do the actual construction of the house, but she's building a home. She's a homemaker, you see. And my beloved, again, I stress that is a high and noble calling. Well, joy arises then from seeing motherhood as a divine charter. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says it like this. May the aged women, Paul says to Titus, be in behavior as becometh holiness. Are you a mature woman here today? Then be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. I love how the Bible's just so practical. Yeah, I mean, it just deals with us right where we live. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may teach the younger women to be sober. So the older sisters in the church have a role too. You say, well, my children are grown. Then you have a new congregation. You're to teach the younger women in the church. And I don't think he means teach them formally or from the pulpit, but he means teach them in, by your example, teach them by your friendship, teach them by your communication and conversations with them in an informal setting. He says, teach the younger women. The older sisters are to take an interest in the younger mothers in the church to teach them to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, it's not always easy to love their husbands. No amens, please, from any of you sisters. But you say, well, oh, sister, I know your husband, he's got some rough edges. Mine did too. In fact, he still does. But I want to tell you that uh, it's important for you to understand him and to 
try to help him to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, children aren't always easy to love. You say, well, you don't know my children, Brother Mike. Well, if they're that lovable, I'd love to know them. So please make sure that I get to know them. But my beloved, I've known a bunch of them in my life. In fact, I've had several. And they're not always easy to love. But the older sisters can play a role in helping the young mothers in the rearing of their children to love their children, to be discreet. That means not flamboyant or ostentatious, to be discreet. Discretion is the better part of valor. To be discreet, chaste, that is morally pure, keepers at home, there's that thought again. Good, that is morally good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now that's the goal is that the scriptures would not be undercut, undermined, or there would be any occasion to speak reproachfully of the word of God. So what I'm saying is motherhood, there's a joy not in merely becoming a mother, but there's a joy in realizing God's purpose for your life. And by the way, part of the joys of motherhood is the joy of hope. Have you ever noticed that every time a little child is born, it gives you new hope, a new lease on life? I ask grandparents when they have a grandchild born, does the birth of that child make you feel old or make you feel young again? And every time they say, it makes me feel young again, gives me new hope. You know, a child's a child of hope because you think, well, let's see, we've messed up with these older folks, but here's a new opportunity to do it again and to do it right this time, right? A child brings new hope. We sing a song sometimes, to us, a child of hope is born. To us, a son is given. Indeed, my friends, that's taken from Isaiah 9, 6 which says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Who's that verse talking about? Jesus. He's the ultimate child of hope. I want to tell you when Joseph and Mary had the babe Jesus in the manger, that was the dawn of hope for humanity, the dawn of hope for God's elect. My beloved, all of our hopes center in that child. In that little one that was born in Bethlehem's manger. He's the man of our hopes. The man of our hopes today is not in Washington, D.C. The man of our hopes is not in Rome, Italy. The man of our hopes is in heaven. Jesus is a child of hope. Well, every new baby brings hope, doesn't he or she? As you anticipate the future usefulness of that child in life, it brings a new burst of hope for the future. You know, I love the fact that Noah's parents named him Genesis 5:29 Noah because they said the same shall comfort us. That word Noah means rest or comfort. So they named him rest or comfort because they didn't feel much rest. The same will comfort us in all of our toil because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. In other words, life is hard, but we've got a new child who's going to be a child of hope. That's the idea. What about Ruth chapter 4 verse 13? The book of Ruth closes with the story of how Boaz marries Ruth and God gives her conception. And notice how the daughters of Jerusalem rejoiced at that news. Ruth 4.13, they said, uh, Let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh's, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth. She was his wife. He went in unto her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Notice how this baby gives them hope for the future. 
His name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee the restorer of thy life and a nourisher in thine old age. Indeed, my friends, the joy of motherhood, it's a divine charter because it brings new hope for the future. I want to say thirdly this morning, motherhood's not only a challenge, but the joy of it arises from seeing it as a divine charter. But joyful motherhood is a choice. Yes, it is tremendously challenging to do the laundry, to keep up with the dishes, to figure out what to eat each evening for the rest of your life, to keep these kids fed. But I want to tell you, every day the Christian mother must choose to find joy in the privilege that God has given you, to serve in the capacity of motherhood. Joyful motherhood's a choice. I would say that it's important for you mothers here today to choose to find joy in the opportunity that you have to shape these lives by teaching them and instructing them. Do you know who the first teacher in a child's life is? And probably the best teacher, mom. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 says, My son, give ear to the commandments of your father and listen to the law of your mother. Your mother is your teacher. I love the 31st chapter of Proverbs, the chapter in which King Lemuel's mother taught him what to look for in a wife. That's the chapter of the virtuous woman. You remember? And it says in Proverbs 31.1 that King Lemuel's mother gave him this prophecy of how to conduct himself in a position of authority and what to look for in a wife. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price, his mother said, is far above rubies. Now, she knew what she wanted for her son as far as a wife was concerned. You say, well, I don't want my son to ever get married or my daughter to ever get married. Well, that's the purpose God gave them. He gave them to you for just a little while. And if you capitalize on those few years, then you can launch them out in the wild blue yonder and they can go forth and spread your influence and your example far and wide, you see. That's the way God intended for it to be. Now, he intended for the marriage relationship to be till death. But the parent-child relationship is intended to be temporary. But it doesn't mean you ever quit loving them or you ever quit caring about them or praying for them. And you do hope they'll bring the grandkids around every once in a while, right? And then take them home. (laughs) Not just bring them around, but then take them home. You know, the prettiest lights I've seen this Christmas are the taillights on my kid's car, a fellow once told me. Well, indeed, my friends, there's an opportunity to shape a life, to mold a life in motherhood. Those kids are impressionable. They don't come on the scene knowing everything they need to know. In fact, my friends, even though they have some instincts, for the most part, they're tabula rasa, blank tablet, you know, they, to be written upon by instruction and uh, experiences in life. In Proverbs 31, verse 26, the virtuous woman chapter says this, When a mother teaches her child, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Oh, to be a mother like this. Now, I know we all fall short. You may say, my nerves have been shot, and my temper's been short, and I've not always spoken with the law of kindness. Then start today and Try to model this perspective. Open your mouth with wisdom, mothers, in your teaching and instruction of your children, and in your tongue may there be the law of kindness. Because you probably have a greater opportunity to teach and instruct them than anybody else because you have them every hour of the day from 
several years in their life. Deuteronomy 6 says, as you walk by the way, as you go about your daily activities, when you sit down and when you stand up, he says, take every opportunity in the simple, ordinary things of life to teach your children. And by the way, that's what Paul said to Timothy was a great heritage that he had. He says, call to remembrance the unfeigned faith of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, who that from a child taught you the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. The, the scriptures don't bring salvation, but they do make you wise. Unto, they bring you knowledge about salvation, right? And your mother and your grandmother taught you the word of God. Mothers, do you read the scriptures to your children? Do you tell them Bible stories? Do you pray with them? Oh, there's joy to be found in being your child's teacher and instructor. And I want to say that joyful motherhood's a choice in the sense that it's a privilege to invest yourself in meeting their needs. There's no purer example of sacrificial Christianity, of living for others, than you have in the realm of motherhood. Proverbs 31:15 talks about that virtuous woman. It says, she riseth also while it is yet night. Here's a mother who gets up while it's dark and gives meat to her household. She's preparing their meals and a portion to her maidens. Verse 21, it says, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. You know, she gives thought to clothes that are appropriate to the weather and to the season of the year. And she makes sure that they have clothes that'll fit. She thinks about that. She's living for them. That's sacrifice. That's Christianity. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to live for somebody else besides yourself. Selfishness, my friends, is public enemy number one to godly motherhood. If you want to be a godly mother, may I say, it's okay to deny yourself and to rise while it is yet night and to think about what's coming and to make provisions for that. That, again, is a pure example of the sacrificial character of the Christian life. Proverbs 31:27 says, She looks well to the ways of her household, and she eateth not the bread of idleness. My grandmother used to teach her daughters to always have something in your hands. Perhaps you young ladies here today would say, I do. It's my iPad or my cell phone. <laughs> no, she, she meant to be, learn how to knit, crochet, paint, how to bake, how to do something. Always keep your hands busy and eat not the bread of idleness. But another way you can invest yourself in meeting the needs, fulfilling and satisfying the needs in your children's life. You say, well, why can't they meet their own needs? Because they're little. As they grow and mature, they can then become more independent. But right now, here's your opportunity to live the Christian life. There's joy to be found in that, to sacrifice yourself for them. And then you think about the blessing of shared family experience. Find joy in the blessing of shared family experience. I said this was a Hallel Psalm, Psalm 113. And families sung it as they traveled to Jerusalem on, for the three great festivals. Can you... Remember days when your family would go to a church meeting, maybe to the association or to the annual meeting, and as together you're going on this shared experience, and they would sing these psalms. My beloved, may I say what a joy it is in motherhood to have your little ones about you and to see them singing and participating in the service of God in your annual religious calendar. Well, I've talked about motherhood's challenge, motherhood's charter, and motherhood's choice. It's a choice to be joyful in motherhood. I want us to talk for just a second, because the clock has beaten me, 
to her family and give you a charge. A charge to mother's children, her husband. And here's your charge today. Be a helper of her joy. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.24 that as a pastor, he said, I'm not a Lord over your faith, but I'm a helper of your joy. And by the way, that's what a family should be to their wife and mother, a helper of her joy. And you can help your mother's joy by being grateful for her many sacrifices. Notice what she does. A lot of it flies below the radar. A lot of it's not, you know, she doesn't blow trumpets and horns and bells and whistles and say, look what I've done. But you and I need to recognize it and be grateful for it. Thanksgiving is one of the best ways you can be a helper of her joy. And then speak words of blessing. Proverbs 31, 28 says her children rise up and call her blessed. That is, they eulogize her while she's still living. They're, they're not flattering. They're not saying, you're the most beautiful mother in the world. I mean, who believes that? There's a difference in flattering and speaking well, blessing somebody. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And then one of the ways you can help your mother's joy is by relieving her needs when she reaches mature years. Proverbs 23:22 says it like this, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Don't neglect her and despise her and say, well, boy, she sure is senile. She forgets so much. Don't become critical. Despise not thy mother when she's old, because one day you'll be old, you see. Think about her. One of the ways you can help her joy is by relieving her needs when she reaches mature years. Jesus criticized the Pharisees because they neglected to honor their father and their mother by saying, I've d dedicated this as a gift to the temple. It is Corban, which meant a gift. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verses 4 through 6 says, You're hypocrites. You've neglected the commandment of God by your tradition. God would much rather you honor your father and your mother. My beloved, the joy of motherhood is realized most fully, may I suggest. God makes the barren woman to keep house to be a joyful mother of children. She will find her greatest joy in motherhood when her children grow up to be wise, godly, and faithful to the cause of Christ and the gospel church. Proverbs 23, 24, and I'll just read these two verses as we close. Proverbs 23, 24 says this, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him, thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. You want to talk about how to bring joy to your mother and your father? Live a righteous and wise life. 1 Timothy 2.15 is the last place I'll take you this morning, where it says women shall be saved in childbearing. Now we started in Genesis 3.16 that said, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. It's hard to be a mother. It's hard giving birth and it's hard raising them because they step all over your heart. They step on your toes and they step on your heart, right? But I'll tell you, your salvation will be when your children continue in the faith and in righteousness and godliness. She shall be saved in childbearing if they continue. That is, if her children continue in the faith. The greatest joy to be experienced in motherhood is to see your children have turned out to be decent, wise, God-honoring, moral children, and especially those who are devoted to the church to see that they're picking up the baton that you've tried to pass to them and they're carrying it forward.
to see the next generation serving the Lord, what a reward that is. The joy of motherhood. Is motherhood a joy? It can be. You've got to make a choice in the way you think about it. Let's the rest of us, here's your charge and mine, let's try to enhance their joy, help their joy. And in the midst of all the challenges of daily life, if you'll see it as a gift, a charter, that God has given you an opportunity, you can find the truth of this verse. God makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy Hey. Okay.